The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Morning. Welcome to each of you. Glad that you're here worshiping with us today. I've had an opportunity to meet several new folks already. If this is your first time visiting with us, we are glad that you're here. Or if you've been visiting and you haven't let us know, we'd love for you to use the Connect card in the back of a chair in front of you. Fill out the information on that and let us know that you're worshiping with us. Also, members of the church, encourage you. If you haven't filled out one of the serving surveys, there's one on the back of a chair right there in that slot where the connect card is. There's also uh, an explanation of how to get to it uh, through your phone uh, where you could do it online, which is actually easier for us if you would use that uh, means to do this serving survey of places that you would consider serving in the life of the church, uh, considering what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians as it relates to spiritual gifts. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Today we're looking at verses 12 to 31. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's a Bible under a chair in front of you. We're on page 959 in the chair Bible. Love to have you follow along as we study through this text together. So 1 Corinthians 12. For context, I'm going to read verses 12 to 14 as we begin our time in the Word together. invite you to stand, please. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Let's pray. Lord, I pray now that you would help us to make sense of this text. Straightforward explanation. We thank you for the use of the illustration. I pray, Lord, now that it would come alive to us and that it would be applied in our hearts and lives to embrace who we are in Christ and what you have gifted us to do and what you have called us to be collectively as the body, the local expression here called Parkwood. So bless the preaching and receiving of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may or may not know this, but there are a lot of books written on church growth, how you grow a church. I've read several of them. And I just want to be straightforward with you that most of it is modeling what you find in American entrepreneurship of just how you can use techniques and certain things to help grow the church, which equals growth equals more what? Money, maybe. People. So church is growing if it has more people. Now, is that the biblical definition of growth? Well, partly. Don't jump too quick, because in the book of Acts, it records the numbers of people that God was adding to the church as she was growing. So numbers of people do matter. But that's not the primary issue. The primary issue is the spiritual growth of God's people and of the church together. We'll see more of this as we move through today. What what I want to share with you that I'm encouraged about is that we see growth 
happening through the equipping of the saints and the engaging of the saints to utilize their gifts in the body of Christ. On Friday night and Saturday morning, we had our annual growth group training. This involved growth group leaders, their spouses, host families, and their spouses, and apprentices, those who are training to be growth group leaders. Over 150 people came together for these two times where it involved some teaching and equipping from the pastors, but it largely included collaborative discussion with one another as the growth group leaders were learning from each other, as hosts were learning from each other, and as apprentices were gleaning. In the room, as I'm watching and looking, because I'm thinking about this sermon, I'm seeing clearly the gift of teaching, the gift of leadership, the gift of exhortation, the gift of mercy, the gift of service, the gift of hospitality. These things play in themselves out in the life of our church. And when you're encouraged, when you see then the body functioning in this way, doing what God has called and designed us to do, to make disciples who make disciples. That's how God grows his church. That we make disciples who in turn make disciples. Now here's what cannot happen. You cannot make disciples in isolation. It's not just something you do. It is something you do, but it is not just something that you do. Disciple making is the design and the purpose of the church together. So here's the main idea of this text. Though made up of many members... We are the body of Christ serving together for the common good. So let's lay down this basic principle from the beginning. The body of Christ is one and has many members. Verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now what this is in, in chapter 12 is an extended metaphor or an extended illustration to drive home the essential truth about the nature of the local church. The illustration centers around the human body and how the body is intricately designed and how it functions together as parts of the body to be able to do all that it can do. So we are one body. All Christians, all believers are brought into one bo- this one body the same way with no distinction. In other words, some of you didn't get here because you're better than others. Some of you didn't get here because you did more than others. We all came to Christ through Christ alone, one way. There is no other way. In Galatians, mirroring verse 13, he says, For as many were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Know what he means? It's a twofold illustration. You didn't get here because of your race. You didn't come to Christ because of your race. You didn't come to Christ because of your religious background. Jew and Greek had to do with religious background. Then he says there's neither slave nor free. There's neither blue collar or white collar. There's neither college educated or not college educated. There's neither, there is no male or female. Men are not better than women or women are not better than men. For you, plural, are all one in Christ Jesus. He gives an extended explanation of this in Ephesians chapter 2, which I invite you to turn there with me. In verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far, far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
So this is how you got there, by the blood of Christ, by the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying in your place for your sin, taking your sin upon himself, taking the judgment of God upon himself. He died in your place, was buried and rose on the third day that he might justify you, that he might trade his righteousness for yours, that he would take your unrighteousness and die in your place, that he might give you his righteousness, that you are now in Christ, you've been brought near to God, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's a twofold thing going on here. One is that we were separated with God and fallen short of the glory of God. Christ has now brought us into fellowship with God. But he's also done something else. Every other Christian, everyone, the walls that divided us are now broken down. The walls of hostility are now broken down that we realize we are now one in Christ. Now skip to verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, now get this, this next phrase, being joined together. So not only are we in Christ and one in Christ, we have been joined together that grows into a holy temple in the Lord and him you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are one yet many, joined in Christ, one body, many, go back to verse 12 now, in chapter 12. One body, many what? Members. So let's, let's, let's define our terms before we go any further. Member here does not mean that you voluntarily have joined an organization or a club. That is not what he means. Member here means that you are a part of an organism. So he's using the body. That my arm is a member of my body. My heart is a member of my body. It is the part of the organism that makes my body grow and function and move. So, here's the question. Why is the body of Christ yet, one, yet many members? Why has God done it this way? So let's think outside the body of Christ for a minute. No matter how gifted you are musically, one person cannot play a Beethoven symphony. No matter how gifted you may be as an actor or an actress, one person cannot perform a Shakespearean play. No matter how great an athlete you are, no matter if you're the goat, one person cannot defeat another team. It takes a group of individuals to accomplish these things. And this is how God has designed his church. It is not based off an individual. It is not a golf game. I tell our staff this all the time. We're not a bunch of golfers competing against each other. We're a football team. Each taking a specific role. That's what we are as a church. We're a team. 
We're a body. So why is the body of Christ one yet many members? Because the body of Christ serves together for the common good. We go back to verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And let's refresh. There were two major problems. There were a lot of problems, but two major problems that prompted Paul to write this. First, the Corinthians had elevated some gifts above above others. They were treating those gifts as more important than others. That's why he's going to write chapter 14 and deal with prophecy and tongues at length. The second thing is very related, but people had taken pride in some of these gifts. And those who had them, seeing themselves as this crucial individual that without me... And without my incredible gifts, the church couldn't function. The body of Christ, rightly understood, will cause us to see the essential nature of every member of the body. And when we see it rightly, it will humble us to see ourselves in light of the whole. So the church does not function simply as a collection of individuals. God has done something unique. We are carefully and uniquely fit together. This is the work of God. The body does not consist of one member, but many. Just a very simple sentence. Without its members, there is no body. It's not made up of these parts. You don't have a body. Now, the perspective we want to have here is that the entire body is necessary, not just one individual or a few individuals. That one individual separated from the body both loses their effectiveness and harms the body. The church will not function properly when one or more members are ignored or regarded as less than valuable. Now he illustrates this. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, what's he dealing with here in these two verses? Jealousy. Competitiveness. Now, nobody in this room struggles with jealousy or competitiveness. Not a one of you. Ha, ha, ha. We're Americans. We live in a culture that thrives on competition. We now have social media, which is largely staying alive because of jealousy. Envy drives it. We live in a jealous, competitive culture. And what the scripture is teaching us here is we don't drag that mess into the life of the church. And when we sense it in ourselves, we now repent of it and turn up from it. This is not how we are to be with one another. Presses the illustration further. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Would be the sense of hearing. And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So if you focus on one part, you lose sight of the essential nature of others. You'd be grotesque. You know, think Monsters, Inc. You'd just be one big eyeball or one big ear. But we are, we are collectively together the body of Christ. Now, how did this happen? 
Look at this phrase. This is crucial to your understanding the whole discussion of gifts. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. That means, that means when God saved you, he then arranged you. Too too many of you think you're sitting over here and you're waiting for God to go, oh, you come over here. When God saved you, God arranged you. He's placed you in the body of Christ. Now, in our, in our infant state of walking with Christ, we're more immature in our understanding of what that is. We're more immature in how to carry that out. We learn and we grow in the exercise of our gifts. That's why God has given pastors and teachers in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to train them to do it. But you have been arranged by God. Each one of them, he says, as he chose. Arranged means careful. It means God's done something that's not accidental. It's not haphazard. It's it's something that he's done uniquely. So why? Why has God done this? Turn with me to Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews 2, he's offering a warning about neglecting God's message of salvation. He says in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So what is it? It is salvation. It's the gospel. This gospel was attested first or declared first by the Lord, attested by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and, look at this, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Here's what the gifted body of Christ functioning together says to the world. We are a picture of the gospel. This is unique. This is unlike anything else God has done in the world. This is uniquely his church. This is something that displays the gospel of Christ. Now, part of this display, part of the way God makes this display happen as the body is functioning according to his gifts is how the members treat each other. I'll say it this way. We need one another. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable will bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no, no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together." So what is all that saying? Let me just simplify it for you. First, we need one another to function. Every member or every part of the body is necessary, the seen and the unseen. So let me ask you a question. We use your car. If you go out to get in your car to go home, which is the more essential thing you need? The electronic ignition to make the car start or your drain plug for your oil pan? Which one? 
Both. Both. Now, some of you are going, I have no idea what a drain plug is. I just know my car starts. A drain plug is a $5 part that if it's not in there, your, drains, your oil's going to drain out on the ground and you're going to get to New Hope Road and your engine's going to lock square up. And then you're going to have a big mess. So that $5 part and that thousands of dollar intricate system that makes your car crank, they're both essential. You can't say one's not as important as the other. <laughs> After the last service, a brother came up to me. He's my age. Uh, all of you have nose hair, but when you get to be a male my age, things come out of your nose. You're like, where'd that come from? This big, long hair. Like, wow. Hey, dudes, get them cut, okay? rest of us don't want to see them. But he said, he held his phone up to me and he said, read this. The first line of defense to pathogens. Your nose hair is important. Your nose hair. Gross nose hair. God has intricately wired and put the body together in such a way that it is essential one part to another. There's a second thing he's teaching here. That, that we need to care for each other. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We're discussing this in our preaching team meeting on Wednesday and Pastor Casey Shaw, the pastor's over in Redemption Hill, Mount Holly. Casey was telling a story about the Marchio family who uh, last week or week before uh, left to go to Bulgaria. Well, just a couple of days before they were supposed to leave, they went to Bulgaria, they're gonna adopt a child. They had to do their pre-visit. If you don't go on this pre-visit, you don't get to do the adoption. It's off. Two days before, the rest of their kids, I don't remember how many kids the Marcos have. They have multiple children. They all got the flu. They're from Boston. No family here. And Casey, with tears in his eyes, told how the church rallied to put themselves at risk and to go into that home and take care of those children so mom and dad could get on that plane and go and bless the life of a child on the other side of the world. That's what the body of Christ does. When one part suffers, they move to each other and they care for each other. But there's something else the body of Christ does. I'll read Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is very similar to what he said. If any member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's go back to our competitive, jealous nature. <laughs> Almost without fail, in my years of pastoral ministry, when an individual has been brought to light and encouraged for something that they have done or something that God is using them to do, invariably, somebody's going to fuss that they've never been noticed. It just has happened almost every time. Like at the end of this service, we're going to pray over an elder. So just don't write me a letter about how we've never prayed over you. Okay? We, we can be so worked up that we forget to rejoice in what God's doing right here, right now, in this person. We're to, we're to honor. This, this was profoundly driven home to me as a young pastor. I went to a conference, a pastor who was very well known 25 years ago. Um, he had pastored 30 years in the same location. 
He had retired. They had done a succession to where the new pastor come in. He was still a part of the church. He was not the pastor. And the church, since this new pastor had taken the lead, had doubled in size and was growing exponentially. And they were both on the platform uh, in a conversation interview. And the interviewer just went there and he asked the pastor this question. What's it like for you now that this younger guy's come in and the church has grown exponentially? And he leaned up toward us. He, he ignored the interviewer. He leaned up toward this room full of pastors. And he said, I'm a two-talent pastor. And God used me for 30 years to lead this body of believers and to reach people and do things along with the rest of the church. And now God sent a five-talent pastor. And then he said this, I rejoice. That's how I feel about it. I rejoice in what God is doing. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's, it's about understanding who we are and understanding what God has called us to do together and to rejoice in the unique gifting of others because we are uniquely gifted. Verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You collectively, you're individually members of it. God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. All right. This text is so straightforward to get to this paragraph, and now it's got two very confusing places in it that people have written and written and written and written about, and I'm going to summarize it in about three minutes. So listen fast. Why does he go first, second, third? What's he doing? Here he's talked about the equality, rejoicing or rejoicing is first, second, third. Could it be, or is, does he mean, he's explaining the leadership structure of the church. These are the, these are the three offices in this order. Is he explaining how leadership unfolds as a church comes to be? Some people would take apostle to mean a missionary or a church planner, the prophet, those who brought the word to bear, and teachers who ensure sound doctrine and practice are communicated ongoing in the life of the church. Or, this is what I think he means. I think he's just meaning, he's emphasizing you do this in conversation all the time. You don't mean to place things in hierarchy. You just say first, second, next. I'll explain why I think this in a moment. Before I get there, let me, let me, let me single out some gifts we didn't talk about last week. Teachers. Now he's, he's talking about an office, but he's also introducing the idea here of a gift. These are mature Christians to instruct others in the meaning and impl moral implications of the Christian faith. These are people who, who use different means in order to instruct and develop others. These are the primary disciple makers among us. We're all disciple makers, but these people are uniquely wired to do it. So we were having our, 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 our growth group training, and, and, and one of the ladies who serves and teaches our oldest ladies growth group. She said, 
She regularly uses object lessons in her growth group. We're, talking, we're not talking about children here. We're talking about the senior saints among us. That woman is a teacher. She understands how to bring concepts to life in the life of people. I'm not saying now go out and use object lessons. What I'm saying is teachers are uniquely wired to teach. The gift of helping. This is a remarkably practical gift. It's very wide. It just means those who aid fellow believers in all kinds of ways. These are people who are behind the scenes. It's likely the same as the gift of serving. Maybe they're unique, but they are extremely similar if they are unique. The church couldn't function without people with the gift of helps. It could not. Then the gift of administration or administrating. Most of us go right to thinking these are people who are really detail-oriented. That's not what it means. It's actually a word picture. It means the pilot of a ship. And we think pilots of an airplane. This is a unique person who would, would be, we would now call them harbor masters, that when a ship would come into a port or a harbor, they would go out, get in the ship, and navigate it safely to the dock. There was no navigation equipment. There were no buoys. They just were aware of where the dangers were, how the currents and the winds worked in order to bring these ships to bear. So these are persons who do have details in their mind, but mainly these are leaders. These are people who can take the helm, who can take the lead. Now you come to verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now if you're studying closely 1 Corinthians, does that sound out of place to you? If you've been paying attention for the last several months, it ought to. Because cocky arrogance is the very thing he's been confronting. And now he makes this statement, desire the higher gifts. He's been talking about the, the unique way the body is put together and how each part is important. And then he says, desire the higher gifts. So does he mean hierarchy? I don't think so. I think that goes against the rest of the epistle and certainly the context of what he's doing here. Is he referring to the offices that he went one, two, three with? I think it still goes against the flow of what he's doing. I don't think that's what he means. Is he being ironic? This is a big argument for this. Paul uses a lot of irony and a lot of sarcasm when he writes. Is he being ironic here? Desire the higher gifts. Well, that goes against similar statements he's going to make in chapter 14. So I don't think so. And notice what I'm saying. Am I emphatically saying no? I'm saying I don't think so. Here's what I think. I think Paul is saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because you're having conflict over these higher gifts, don't throw them away. But I'm going to show you a better way. Here's the better way. You function in love. Now next week we're going to study 1 Corinthians 13 in its context. 1 Corinthians 13 was not written to be read at weddings. It's okay to read it at a wedding, but that's not why it was written. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a church in conflict over spiritual gifts. And Paul says, this is how you function with a gift. You do it with love. And I'm going to tell you what love is. And I'm going to tell you what love is not. So that you understand what it means to function. Now, 
Back to our main point today. Verse 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church. And he gives us a list of gifts. We go back up to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, the work of God. Verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Are we, here's my question, are we embracing the body of Christ and our place in the body? (laughs) Some of you, this is your Christian life. I'm living for Jesus. Emphasis is I. It's not God's design. Yes, you live for Jesus, but we live for Jesus. And here's what I understand. I'm not going to faithfully live for Jesus without being a part of the body of Christ. Have you realized this yet? We spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You get separated out there by yourself, you'll wane, and you'll wane fast. We are the body of Christ. We have been bought together. So are we embracing that this is the body, and are we embracing our place in the body? So this week, I'm acutely watching all the time this week. I'm watching new believer joyfully serving others in such a way that it brought joy to me. Now we're talking, at the moment, what this individual is doing, it was drain plug work. It wasn't glamorous. But there was joy in what the individual was doing. Now that is one of the reasons God's growing his church here. It's because people are embracing what God has called them to do and how they're going about doing it. Ephesians 4. We'll conclude there. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Notice this we. We are growing. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So there's individuality, but we're we're held together when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's going to connect us back to chapter 13 next week. So when each part is working properly, it makes the body to grow. Gifts from the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the common good, that is, the growth of the body. Now go back up to verse 13. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ wants to grow you into Christ's likeness. He has saved you from sin. He has imputed to you. In other words, he has made you righteous in the sight of God. He's declared you righteous. And he is doing the work of sanctification to make you more into Christ's likeness. But he's not just doing that to you. He's doing that to us. It's what God is doing to us together. He wants us to grow into Christ's likeness. I am so convicted. I can remember the first time I saw this reading chapter four. For years, I had read it as 
that I was a pastor, I was equipping saints so that we individually could help individuals grow. And then I saw what he was saying here. He's saying so that the church grows into the mature manhood, into the likeness of Christ. That we together collectively are being a reflection of Christ. I've been here for decades. Some of you have been here for years. Some of you have been here for months. Some of you, it's your first day, and you don't have no knowledge of what I'm going to ask. But I want you to don't ask her out loud right now. In your time with Parkwood, would you say she's grown? I'm not talking about numbers. That she has grown into more Christ-likeness. And my answer to that is emphatically, yes, she has. There have been moments when she got a sore on her toe and she ignored it. And it grew into gangrene and caused us all kinds of problems. There have been moments when we've ignored wayward members and it hurt all of us because we didn't pay attention. There have been times when we haven't moved to each other as we should. There have been times that we've fought each other along the way. But in the main, in my nearly three decades here, she's more like Christ than she was when I came. Not that she wasn't. That's why I came here. I saw a place that loved the Lord and, and sought to live for Him. Now, brothers and sisters, what I just said only happens when each part is working properly. That's what causes the body to grow. So God has saved you. He's uniquely placed you in the body, joined you together, to function and work together. So let me just say it clearly and bluntly this morning. If you're looking for a spectator church, this isn't it. It's not it. That's not the DNA. That is not the design of who we are. Our goal is not to get as many people as possible to show up here on Sunday and listen to me. That's not our goal. If you hadn't picked up on it, those of you who are regularly coming back here, my goal is to present the gospel to those who are not saved and call them to faith and to call the Christian to live out their Christian lives together for the glory of God to our neighbors and to the nations. That's what we exist for. Are you embracing the body of Christ and your unique place in it? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've called us together. Thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you have uniquely gifted us for this cause of Christ. Now, Lord, convict men and women, young people, to discover that unique place in this body and to carry out their gifts. And if it's not here, Lord, compel them to quickly move toward the local church where you would have them plug their life in. And for those who do not yet know you, Lord, I pray that what they have heard and what they have seen, we convict them to turn to Christ and trust him and him alone for salvation. Move among us as we sing. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.